The idea is that you should be using technology in a way to enable connection at scale with your existing staff and your existing team. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by our CEO and founder here at Virtuous, Gabe Cooper, and one of our leads in marketing, McKenna Bailey. They just co-authored the brand new book, Responsive Fundraising. And during this episode, we actually talk through the main concepts of the book, and they share how modern nonprofits are adopting responsive practices to engage today's donor in a new way and build lasting relationships at scale. In addition, they actually preview one of the chapters and share the entire chapter reading with you on the episode. It's a value-packed episode, so let's dive in. We noticed as a team and as people who have been in the fundraising world for a while, I know that was part of um, your, the beginning of your career, that there's this conversation around growing generosity, lasting donor relationships. And we noticed that the conversation sort of stopped around the idea that if we had more resources, we could do this better. We're stretched thin and there's not a lot more that we could be doing. Um, and I remember hearing the story about Kodak back Um, I think it was in the 1970s, they had an employee on their team who, with imagination, he thought about the ways that a camera could become digital. And at the time, Kodak was 90% of the film being sold worldwide, and they just didn't see a future where they wouldn't be on top, where they wouldn't have film be their number one um, revenue generator. And so they sort of told him thanks, but no thanks. And they stopped the progress on the digital camera. And now we know sort of in retrospect, what a mistake that was. And they turned out to be, eventually they had to go bankrupt because they just didn't invest the resources in digital cameras in the time that they needed to. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important to pass that story along to nonprofits and fundraisers alike is that it isn't a resource problem as much as it is a focus um, because Kodak at the time was the number one. They were they had all the money in the world to invest in digital cameras, but they didn't see the future as it was. They saw it as it always had been. And so we really want this book to push fundraisers to see the growing bubble that they're facing and think about creative ways and ways that donors are telling them to pivot and to think creatively about their relationships and the fundraising tactics that they use. And so that's really the point of the book is to push the conversation to a new place where we can start um, inspiring fundraisers and getting them to think about the new world and the new donor experience in a way that is relevant and valuable to the individuals who are giving to their causes. That's great. I, I love that story. I think it is so useful for nonprofits to sort of hear about that because I do think we're in this period right now where the world has changed, you know, to use that story, the digital camera has now been invented. And and I think for nonprofits that realize that the world has changed, they can flourish and grow generosity in this new reality. Um, For the ones that aren't able to adapt, there's going to be, you know, sort of a reckoning like there was for Kodak in a sense. And so uh, 
a lot of what we've seen, I think, particularly in the last 15 years, is that um, there's been this fundamental shift where the world uh, nonprofits fundraise in has fundamentally changed. And there's been several things that have shaped that. I think that um, technology is part of it. Um, if any of you kind of open up your phone right now, what you're going to notice is a bunch of push notifications and emails and texts that are hyper personalized to you. All of your favorite brands seem to know everything about you. They know where you, what you like to eat, where you like to work out. They know what you like to wear, what time you go to bed, what time you get up. And, and all of those communications, whether it's your news feed or Facebook or um, I joke, even your local pizza place seems to know everything about you. And so we live in this world now with where everything is hyper, hyper personalized. The other thing that's happened has been this kind of erosion of trust. So um, people used to trust big nonprofits to sort of tell them where to give and how to give, but there's been an erosion of distrust in institutions generally. And so now people trust their friends or family or trusted networks to tell them where to give and how to give. Um, as a result of these shifts, we've seen giving from everyday donors, sort of mid and low tier donors decrease by as much as 25% in the last decade. And that's not total giving. Total giving remains kind of the same because major donors are stepping up to fill the gap, but the total number of people giving has decreased. And it has a lot to do with people to feel a little bit uninspired and alienated um, from their favorite nonprofits who still kind of send out spray and pray, direct mail, direct response marketing um, that acts as a wet blanket on generosity. And so we kind of believe that you know, if nonprofits can make this fundamental shift shift of being more responsive to donors to actually listening to their donors and begin to personalize communication around each donor's uh, passions and their capacity, the stage of life they are, where they're in the donor journey, that we can sort of turn the corner um, and rebuild generosity in this country. And so um, hopefully that's helpful in understanding the problem. I did want to talk briefly about kind of the the three core tenets of the responsive framework. So it's listen, connect, and suggest. But McKenna, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what we mean when we say uh, listen. Sure. It, I think to the point of the technology and the way that we're constantly inputting our preferences in anything we interact with, whether that be through our friends, through social sharing and just talking and engaging online, or you know the way we, we, that we shop, we all sort of as organizations have access to unprecedented amount of data, which sounds overwhelming, but when you sort of are intentional about what you're tracking and what you're listening to from your donors specifically, they're telling you where they want you to go. They're telling you what they want to hear from you. And so it makes it easier to focus on the things that are most relevant and most meaningful to them so that you have those personalized relationships like you do with your major donors. This is just a way to use all of the inputs and all of the behavior and engagement data that is at your fingertips and create those relationships that you already are doing, but now it's at a scale that um, helps sort of supplement those major donors. Um, and to listen to them is to let them lead you and let them guide your strategy rather than sort of saying, this is what worked, so let's try this, but let's do more. It's being smarter with your engagements and your messaging and what you're putting out there so that you don't have to do it as frequently because each time you're getting that ROI that you need to be sustainable and to grow in the future. Yeah. And I think uh, 
a great example of this that probably everybody has seen is is their experience when they go to amazon.com and amazon.com magically knows they need to reorder dish soap right <laughs> or they go to facebook and and facebook magically knows that they want to see the avet brothers and they're going to be in concert soon in their city right this all of these sort of hyper personal connections and and the technology that allows a Facebook or Google or Amazon or Spotify to create those personal experiences, that technology is available to nonprofits today. So this isn't some sort of mystical, abstract listening. This is actually um, paying attention to real digital signals that are out there today, like how people engage with their email, where are they visiting on your website, um, what channels do they respond in? What does their social media profile say that they're most interested in? Who are their friends? Who do they live next to? These are like real actual data points you have today that we now have the tools to sort of analyze and then be able to feed back to donors, you know, what they're most interested in around what they're most passionate about. Um, so that's, that's listen. So talk a little bit about what it means to connect with donors at scale. Sure. I think that the main point when we're when we talk about connect is that we don't want to put our focus on any one channel. We want this to be a multi-channel engagement with donors because we still have people who care most about direct mail pieces. We still have donors who care most about emails or they just want to be able to text yes and that gives you $10. Um, and so the connect is using what you know um, and what donors have told you to connect with them in the place that's most relevant at the time that's most relevant, right? So if you have seen that this person has just given last week, what is a, a new way that you can reach them? Can you call them on the phone and just say thank you? And don't have any sort of motive behind the call rather than just making that connection to say, hey, we appreciate you, um, to set you up so that the next time you make an appeal, it's on the right channel with the right messaging and um, it makes the donor feel like, more than just an ATM. It's really meeting them where they're at in a way that makes most sense for them and their journey and their the point that they're at with your nonprofit. Yeah. And I think the important part is, and here's where nonprofits sometimes can get a little bit panicked because you think, yeah, no kidding. I'd love to connect personally with all 10,000 donors, but I'm completely strapped. My staff as it is, is overworked and spread thin, there's no way, you know, it's all we can do just to get the monthly appeal or monthly newsletter out the door. Um, but the nice thing, again, is the technology that folks like an Amazon or Spotify are using, those are now available to nonprofits. So the idea is that you should be using technology in a way to enable connection at scale with your existing staff and your existing team and seeing real results. So the biggest sort of technology advancement here is around the idea of marketing automation. So marketing automation is, is nothing more than a way to say, Hey, look, when a new donor comes in on a child sponsorship project, we want them to get an email about their kid. And then three days later, a call and four days later, a piece of mail. And then 25 days later, another email telling them about the impact of their gift. Well, if you had a system that could listen for that type of gift and then automatically send out those communications or prompt somebody on your team to make the call, then all of a sudden it becomes a very sort of doable proposition to be able to connect at scale. And it's it's tools like marketing automation that that begin to enable this kind of personal connection. 
Um, so then finally is suggest. Um, what do we mean by suggest? Suggest is just a new way to think about making appeals and to see your donor as a complete individual with a full relationship to your nonprofit. So that means that um, you know that in order to earn the revenue that you need to grow as an organization, you still have to give to your donor and you have to suggest things that make sense for them. You know, hounding people month after month with the same um, sort of appeal with the same donation amount. doesn't make a lot of sense when you think this person has been giving to me for five years straight. What is a, what is an amount that makes sense to them? What is a suggestion that I can give them that is meaningful and that proves that I know how you care about our organization, why you care about our organization and the impact that you want to make. Um, and then make a suggestion based on what you know about them and what has, has been resonating with them throughout their entire journey. So Varying your appeals, varying um, how you're suggesting they go deeper with your organization. That could mean just share this with your friends, share the, the accomplishments that you have made as a donor in this organization in the past year um, and making sure that you are giving back to them as much as they are giving back to you um, and always keeping that in mind so that we're not constantly treating people who really care about the success of your or- organization, um, not treating them like ATMs. Yeah, I love that. And not treating donors like ATM machines and treating them like people, I think, is at the very core of what we're talking about here. And so it's understanding that people have more to give them money, like social capital, they have their time. Um, it's understanding that key principle that you said that generosity begets generosity. So you should think about how you're adding value to your donors and how you're giving uh, to them first. But then it does at the gift ask level, it means, you know, don't ask somebody that just gave $10,000 for $50 a month. Don't ask somebody's giving $50 a month for $10,000. You know, they're a college student. They don't have that capacity. Um, and ask uh, in ways that engage people around all of them, all themselves, not just their checkbook. And then, you know, great example is if your organization deals with water and malaria and you know that this particular person's always responding to water appeals. They only click on the water pages of your website and you, you know, you know from what they're doing on Twitter that that's what they care about. Don't ask them for malaria. Make sure that you're asking around what they're passionate about, what their original intent was in giving to you. And what we see is when we can do this and tailor those communications, we see average gift size go up. We see donor lifetime value go up. We see that retention between a first and second gift skyrocket when we can really begin tailoring this around where each donor is in their journey. So um, that's plenty sort of uh, talking about why we wrote the book. Um, Hope you enjoyed that and uh, stay tuned here to listen to a chapter on our book around uh, modern donors. Thanks so much. Thank you. Chapter two. The New Donor Experience Quote, A relationship is not a fixed state. It's an ever-growing and deepening reality based on mutual openness and on a shared willingness to follow mutual passions. It's a beginning, not an ending. End quote. Jennifer McRae and Jeffrey C. Walker, The Generosity Network. In the 1940s and 50s, Several innovative nonprofits discovered the key to successfully scaling their fundraising efforts. 
They tapped into shared experiences and met their audience where they were, at home. They sent direct mail to people's houses, hosted telethons on TV and radio, and took out print ads in the daily newspaper that appeared on everyone's driveway each morning. These traditional broadcast tactics were fundamentally successful because this was how communication worked. Mass media was everywhere. Everyone watched live viewings of American Bandstand and read the same front-page story in the local newspaper. Nonprofits could reach a wide audience with a single message because they knew everyone was consuming that message the same way. Suddenly more aware of different needs across the globe, the average donor in Lincoln, Nebraska, could now contribute to those causes through direct response. They mailed in their $50 contribution and could feel a sense of generosity and warmth for supporting a good cause. And when the next call for support arrived in the mail, or by phone, or via television, they would respond again. These models thrived for the next 50 years, because mass media was the only media. Consumers weren't presented with any alternatives. They couldn't turn off the TV to watch a show on their computer. And they couldn't halt their newspaper subscription and scroll through multiple online news outlets for other stories on their phone. And they certainly couldn't conduct their own research on the internet and find nonprofits making a difference in a cause that mattered to them. And then the internet arrived, and everything began to change. The Lack of Evolution in Nonprofit Fundraising As the internet evolved in the late 1990s and nonprofits started the move to digital fundraising, they only marginally modified their old push based direct response tactics to work in a digital world. Monthly direct mail appeals were simply repurposed as email appeals, donor brochures were translated into websites and radio broadcasts were made available online. The Internet was nothing more than a digital replica of traditional fundraising models from the past 40 years. Before our new connected age, push-based direct response tactics were tolerable. They represented the only means available to many nonprofits to connect with a broader audience. Generic direct mail acquisitions or telethons might yield a small response rate, but the lifetime value of the new donors justified the expense. Plus, what else could they do? Following the advent of more personalized digital experiences and the democratization of information on the Internet in the mid-2000s, typical response rates started to shrink. And, more importantly, Donor retention suffered, and donors began to feel alienated by the barrage of institutional, impersonal broadcast communication. By 2008, the release of the iPhone, Facebook, and Twitter helped to put a nail in the coffin of broadcast-style fundraising. Response and retention rates have dropped, and leading nonprofits have realized that they can no longer hound donors with the same messages and hope for a better response. Yet, amidst the decline of traditional newspapers, 
broadcast, television, and other mass media one-to-many models, many nonprofits still hold tight to their traditional way of fundraising. The Vanishing Shared Broadcast Experience The Internet has always been a competitive environment, but over the last 15 years, that competition has exponentially increased. These days, companies, content creators, and our personal network of friends and family all compete for our attention. Personalized streaming services and curated social media feeds have risen in prominence thanks to nearly ubiquitous Internet access. For anyone competing for attention in this new, curated world, the solution is to stop adding to the noise and start serving up only what audiences actually want. How do you know what people want? Pay attention. Algorithms collect new data points every time we like, share, block, and scroll. The behavioral-based algorithms teach these platforms to adapt to this data and design a curated feed of all the things we love in real time. As a result, our universal experiences are shared between fewer and fewer individuals. We no longer tune in to the news cycle via nightly network news or patiently wait for the next episode of Seinfeld on Thursday nights. In its place, we have smaller communities filled with more passionate, like-minded people. We share particular interests, preferences, and community with people whose hyper-connected, curated worlds look like ours. We not only choose our entertainment, but we also choose when we will consume it. We create social media groups and group texts to keep in touch with the community we truly care about and we share the information that matters most to us with them. We don't follow news outlets. We custom design our news to give us updates on the topics we actually care about. And anything that falls outside of our spheres of interest typically remains out of sight and out of mind. That doesn't mean that we've stopped caring. We've just started to care in different ways than we did in the past. In fact, Millennials, as digital natives, tend to care more about the specific things that enter their world. As noted in the Washington Post, quote, While previously generations may have been motivated to volunteer by their companies, millennials are much more likely to be influenced by their peers than by their supervisors, 65% to 44% and only 11% had their donation deducted from their paycheck, a method that, for older generations, was often considered the standard way to give at the office. End quote. This shift in the way we consume and engage with the world has also extended to our sense of generosity. The causes we care about become part of our curated experience. This in turn, has had a profound impact on the relationship between the donor and the nonprofit. Fundamentally, this vanishing shared narrative means that nonprofits can no longer depend on generic, one-size-fits-all communication strategies. Instead, donors expect the nonprofits they support to understand them 
and to help them design their own donor experience, just like the for-profit brands already do. Instead of balking in the face of these changes, nonprofits should be embracing them wholeheartedly, because the truth is, the new hyper-connected reality is primed to create opportunities for people to support causes. The for-profit world has already recognized a way to leverage this opportunity, introducing a new competition for fundraisers, cause marketing. The new competition, cause marketing. Cause marketing is a way of capitalizing on our desire to support and actually be a part of movements that matter deeply to us via brands we trust. The idea behind cause marketing is simple. Demonstrate that the brand is doing more than just making a profit and show how customer participation supports a good cause. This has a broad appeal to both those who care about the cause and brand-loyal customers. The communities already invested in a particular cause now have a reason to shop the company's products. Meanwhile, loyal customers can feel bolstered by the fact that they are affecting change through their buying decisions. Back in 2016, Patagonia created a campaign that allowed Black Friday shoppers to help the planet while buying holiday presents. The company announced that they would give 100% of sales generated on the popular shopping holiday to support grassroots organizations working to protect the air, water, and soil. To help support the planet, customers just needed to make a purchase at one of Patagonia's many stores on Black Friday. Both loyal customers and first-time buyers rallied around the campaign, excited by the convergence of relevant engagement, Black Friday, and instant gratification. By the end of the day, Patagonia raised $10 million in sales. Nonprofits already act as a connection between donors and the causes they care about most. What they currently lack, and what brands like Patagonia, who invest in cause marketing, understand, are the strategies to make those causes relevant and timely to donors. For-profit companies appeal to customers who are already building communities and conversations around the cause and turn them into loyal consumers. They work to introduce their brand in those spaces, create opportunities to involve their audience in the work they're doing, and elevate them from customers to agents of change. The secret is to understand the audience, their motivations and values, and then interact with them in a personalized way. Take, for example, Sand Cloud Towels. Sand Cloud Towels is an e-commerce site that sells Turkish beach towels from their office in San Diego, California. Through detailed reports and daily interactions with their ideal customers, they started to understand who their audience was and, more importantly, what they cared about. In this case, the customers were deeply connected to the beach communities and wanted to protect and care for shorelines around the world. So, Sand Cloud Towels used their brand to champion and affect positive change around beach preservation. 
It was a natural fit for their product and for their company, which was made up of a group of passionate Southern California natives. The combination of a high-quality product and a growing community of activated customers excited about the opportunity to create real change resulted in fast, meaningful growth. Soon, they expanded their online community into an offline experience. Sand Cloud Towels hosted community beach cleanups and highlighted participants on social media. They encouraged their customers to host their own beach cleanups, creating communities around the cause. Their customers became the face of the movement and, in the end, solidified their brand. While Sand Cloud Towels is not a household name, they have created a motivated and loyal community. They've harnessed the power of shared experiences and common goals and brought it to their customers. Their small community is full of excited advocates that bring in new, like-minded individuals every day, both online and on the beach. The Sand Cloud Towels and Patagonia examples show us that marketers are leveraging customers' core motivations to do the things that nonprofits have traditionally been best at changing the world for good. The bad news is that right now, they're seeing more success than many traditional nonprofits. But the good news is that they're not doing anything that nonprofits can't. New Donor Expectations Today's donors want to feel appreciated and heard, and they want to feel a connection to your cause on their terms, but especially during the times that they're most interested. They don't want to wait for your schedule to hear updates or learn more about programs they're invested in. In fact, 63% of customers are highly annoyed by the way, brands continue to rely on the old-fashioned strategy of blasting generic ad messages repeatedly, according to Marketo. And this statistic makes sense when you think about the ways in which we interact in our hyper-connected world. Instant gratification and gamification are at the heart of all our experiences. Social media apps refresh as you scroll giving you more of what you want with virtually no wait time. Online retailers offer faster shipping with better tracking information. Fitness trackers will remind you to move every 20 minutes and celebrate every time you surpass 10,000 steps. Even when you're trying to remove yourself from the endless scroll of updates, smartphones will send congratulatory notifications for your restricted screen time. Whether we like it or not, we are all primed to receive real-time feedback and be rewarded for our actions. On top of that, we are living in a world of 24-hour news cycles. Each of us is inundated with new disasters, causes, and crises to care about every single day. The result is a deep, constant desire to help and an unconscious need to see impact immediately. Nonprofits who respond to this perfect storm in a way that is relevant to their donors will succeed. New Epsilon research indicates 80% of consumers are more likely to make a purchase 
when brands offer personalized experiences. Kevin Mabley, SVP Strategy and Analytics, told Epsilon, quote, Digital transformation is no longer optional. It is required for brands to improve customer experiences and remain competitive. The research findings are further evidence that bringing together customer intelligence and customer experience to drive personalization has a direct impact on a brand's bottom line. Yet, many brands are still lacking the end-to-end digital maturity required to be successful, including a customer-centric organizational structure, connected and integrated marketing technology, and actionable data-driven insights. End quote. Unfortunately, most nonprofits are stuck using models that make it almost impossible to respond to donors personally at scale and move away from traditional broadcast-style experiences. The result is underserved donors who aren't inspired to give because they can't find an organization as passionate as they are. The Magnified Importance of Authenticity and Trust in Fundraising Trust, transparency, and hyper-relevant communication are even more important to nonprofit donors than the average consumer of a product. Choosing a charitable cause is often a much more personal decision than buying a new rain jacket or beach towel. Indeed, charitable giving is more often than not born from a strong, personal motivation. A couple unable to have their own kids instead sponsors children in Uganda and India. A mother uses charitable giving to introduce her children to social issues and promote global citizenship. A son who lost his dad to a rare cancer now fundraises for a charity that supports early detection programs. A Vietnam War veteran knows the hardship of reintegration after deployment and supports three organizations working to fill this gap for younger men and women returning from active duty. Giving is massively personal, yet charitable organizations are losing individual donors because they are unable to provide the personal connection that today's donors have come to expect from their favorite brands. In order to compete in the age of digital distraction, nonprofits must start leveraging more responsive fundraising tactics to tap into the population's already present desire to affect positive change. As Jeremy Beer says in The Forgotten Foundations of Fundraising, quote, Weaker transactional relationships are characteristic of the least successful organizations. Stronger relational connections characterize the most successful organizations. Or, to borrow from the Dutch priest and theologian, Henri Nguyen, we misserve our donors if we have not given them an opportunity to participate in the spirit of what we are about. We may have completed a successful transaction, but we have not entered into a successful relationship. End quote. The solution is responsive fundraising. 
Responsive fundraising puts the donor at the center of fundraising and grows giving by personalizing each donor's journey. It responds in real time to the needs of each individual. The responsive approach builds trust and invites people to move closer to the cause through authentic engagement. It replaces mass messaging and direct response with one-to-one relationship building at scale. Responsive fundraising considers the preferred communication channel of each individual when highlighting their contribution. It makes it easy for donors to share the ways they've made a positive impact on the world. It gives them information to pass along to their inner circles and show new potential donors that they can use social influence in addition to financial contributions to move the cause forward. Responsive fundraising listens for donor signals to better understand each individual's passions and engagement with the cause. And a responsive fundraising model creates new ways to show gratitude and give back to their donors at every opportunity. Responsive fundraising forgoes traditional approaches that focus on organizational needs and convincing donors to respond a certain way. Instead, responsive fundraising listens to donors in order to understand intent and desire. It connects with donors personally and suggests best-fit actions that deepen their engagement. Responsive fundraisers stand shoulder-to-shoulder with donors in a united front to move the cause forward. In this new model, nonprofits shine the spotlight on donors who want and need to feel like they are truly participating in the cause. It's a fundamental change necessary to build lasting relationships with all your donors. It's the way that nonprofits can treat every donor like a major donor. One Mission's Responsive Fundraising Strategy Nate Hughes leads donor development for One Mission in Phoenix, Arizona. One Mission partners with families to build houses in Mexico and Central America. One Mission is committed to several responsive practices, but one story about listening to donors really struck me. I'll let Hughes tell the story in his own words. Quote, Our house-to-house program is our partnership with people in the real estate industry. We partner with primarily real estate agents, but we also serve mortgage lenders and title agents. At this point, We've even expanded to include a solar salesman. The whole program came about in a really organic way. We had a real estate agent who went down to Mexico on one of our construction trips and built a house. When he got home, he called our VP of operations and said, Hey, I want to figure out a way to make a bigger difference in our industry. I want to figure out a way to give back. I met with him, and we embarked on this year-and-a-half-long journey, me learning a lot about the real estate industry, him helping me learn, and both of us working together to craft and create a program. We launched a program the following April that gave real estate agents the opportunity to give a portion of their commission to put a family in a house. Buy a house, give a house. 
It's the best of all the social marketing world. The program is able to tie two industries together and connect donors directly to their impact. End quote. The most critical choice made by Hughes and the entire One Mission team was dedicating themselves to an 18-month journey with the real estate agent in order to learn more and create a program that made sense to all involved parties. Think about any significant relationship in your life. A marriage does not only exist on the wedding day and every subsequent anniversary. The bond between a mother and her child reaches far beyond each birthday celebration. Long-term, meaningful relationships deepen with each interaction that occurs during everyday life. They flourish in the big moments and the small ones. They strengthen when each side celebrates the other or helps through difficult times. Donor relationships are no different. To maintain relationships with individual donors, your focus must shift from collecting money to cultivating a relationship. Remove the transactional mindset that says your only focus should be on end-of-year revenue reports. Instead, focus on the individuals who committed themselves to the same cause as you. Connecting with each person in a contextual way allows you to suggest the right next step at the right time. Deeper connections lead to expanded generosity and ultimately help you do more good. It's time for change. A good number of nonprofits I speak to are initially resistant to change. When I introduce the concept of responsive fundraising to them, they commonly respond with, we don't have the resources to create relationships with all our donors. Historically, this was true. The average donor development officer can realistically only maintain relationships with 100 to 150 major donors which means that the vast majority of donors receive the exact same communication from the organization. The same mail piece, email, and web experience. Many organizations I talk to insist that a more personal approach is unrealistic, and besides, our strategy has always worked in the past. In a sense, they are right. It is unrealistic for your staff to build personal relationships with 10,000-plus individual people. And your current method did work in the past. But like it or not, our world has changed. Remember, these days, donors expect to see their impact immediately. And if they don't, they can move on to another organization, stop giving altogether, or find other outlets to make an impact. The good news is that the reason donors expect what they expect is because it's possible for nonprofits to meet those expectations. The risk of not adopting a responsive approach to fundraising has become too high. Ignoring what your donors care about and how they're telling you to communicate with them is to show them the door. Donors can find personalized experiences everywhere, and they are aware of the number of problems that exist and need help. If you're not being responsive to them, they will move on. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.